This series that we're starting tonight, the Bible tells a story and you have a part to play. I don't know how long we're going to be in this series, even this message tonight. I don't want to rush through it. It might be a two-parter, but I believe this is a series. I talked about it at our anniversary service that we were going to start and then we were just going to stay in it until we felt the Lord leading us to move on to something else. As you're reading the Bible, I hope that you realize the reason why we're given so much detail about people all the way from Abraham to Peter is because God is involved in your life with that same kind of detail. The, the reason why we're given the, these stories that, that, are, that are so intricately told, that God is so attentive, that he's so loving, that he's so involved in their lives is part is because we're supposed to learn from them. But one of the things we're supposed to learn is that God wants to do that same thing for you because he cares for you. Just as much, the Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play. And although all of our parts will be dramatically different, we understand that. God has different callings and purposes and assignments for us in this life. Although all our parts will be dramatically different at some point, we will all share the same moment. The moment we discover the goodwill of Jesus. The moment we discover the goodwill of Jesus. All of us at some point in our lives have been dependent on the goodwill of other people. As I was praying over this sermon, I had a, 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 a flashback to a story. I can't tell too many stories of when I was in college. I was not a Jesus person then. I can tell a few. And, and, and so I, re, I remembered we were, I was in college from 85 to 89, went to Randolph Macon up in Ashland, and me and a buddy of mine named Alan Dean decided we were going to get away for spring break. He had cousins that lived in Sanford, Florida, just outside of Daytona. And so we went down, we drove down together for spring break, and we, we were coming back. We, it was early Sunday morning. We were somewhere in the deep south. I think we were somewhere in Georgia. We, did, we were, right, these young college kids. We knew nothing about cars. And all of a sudden, his car began to make this horrific noise. Right, the, the kind of noise that you hear in a sci-fi movie when there's an alien invasion. So we knew that something was terribly wrong, so we pulled over, we turned the car off, and thankfully we had passed an exit about a mile back, so we just began the long walk. We walk into this sleepy town again. This is the 80s. It's Sunday morning. All the businesses are closed still because it's church day, but even church people aren't awake yet. And so we, we find this little mom and pop gas station that we walk into and there's some young kid in there our age that's working and we said, hey, our car broke down on Interstate 95. Is there anybody that you can direct us to? And he said, there is a mechanic shop out back and Hank is usually always there. True story, real name. So Alan and I say, okay. So we go around behind and we find this big metal outbuilding that has these multiple bays where people would pull in their cars to get repair. And, and we, we can't find anybody as we're kind of peeking in. Nobody's in the office. And so we walk into the shop area and there is a fan. I kid you not, is the largest fan I've ever seen in my life. I think it was a propeller off of a World War II bomber, and it made the noise that you would expect to hear from an airplane on a tarmac. It was deafening, but it's hot, it's summer, it's the deep south, and over in the corner, we see the silhouette of a man. He's sitting in an old wooden office chair. It's hard to figure out how big he is because he's in this chair, but he probably needed about three chairs. It looked like he was about 6'5", about 300 pounds. He's sound asleep with a cigar in his mouth that I think he was chewing on since the 1970s. So I look at Alan and say, hey, there's Hank. You should go tell him we need his help. 
And Alan's like, I'm not waking him up. You wake him up. And so we're back and forth. And all of a sudden, we hear this deep voice from the shadows. How can I help you boys? Like, we broke down on the side of the road. And car's making a noise. We don't know what to do. And he said, all right, hop in the tow truck and we'll go check it out. So we hop in the tow truck with Hank. We've never met Hank. We're in the middle of nowhere. We've already broken all the rules if this is a horror movie, right? We're at his mercy. You, you have this feeling deep inside, is my car going to get fixed or is he going to bury us in a shallow grave on the side of the interstate? So we get up behind Alan's car. We get out. The hood's already up. He says, okay, turn it over. We, he, we, we crank the engine. It makes the horrible noise. He says, okay, turn it off. I, I'm standing right next to him. He reaches into his pocket. He pulls out the biggest knife I've ever seen in my life. I can still hear today the clicking of that blade locking in place. You're thinking to myself, we're going to die right here on the side of the road. I, I kid you not. He, he sticks this knife down into the engine and he rips out this belt. And he says, okay, you're good to go. It's just your air compressor. You're just going to have to keep the windows down for the rest of your trip. We said to Hank, how much do we owe you? And he says, you don't owe me anything. Travel safe. Goodwill. All of you at some point in your life have been dependent on the goodwill of another human being. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But you were desperate for it. Listen to this definition. Benevolence, compassion, goodness, kindness, consideration, charity. That's what goodwill is towards us. And goodwill in its purest form is not dependent on the merit of the recipient. Goodwill is predicated on the character of the giver. There was goodwill in that moment. Hank didn't know who we were. If he had known who we were and what we had been doing all week, he probably would not have helped us. We, we, we did not deserve the help that he brought to us. But because Hank was a good-hearted person, because there was goodwill in his heart, he was willing to help a stranger on that day. This idea of goodwill is important for us as we begin this series. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. This is the first public declaration in the world of the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 10 and go down to 14. And then I'm going to reread 14 in two other translations. This is out of the New Living Translation. But then I'm going to give it to you out of the King James and the New International Version. Because they get that last verse a little bit better. Verse 10 says this, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. So we know they are shepherds, they're outside of Bethlehem, they're tending the flocks, and all of a sudden the heavens open and there's this chorus of angels that begin to shout and declare. They say, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, I don't like the translation of verse 14 because that's not how the original language flows. And in the New Living Translation, the emphasis here at the end on whom God is pleased implies that there is merit by the recipient. It implies that the recipient has done something to deserve 
what God is offering, with whom God is pleased. But that's not how the language flows. King James gets it better. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Luke 2.14 in the NIV explains that in modern language, it's just glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, the goodwill flows from who God is, not because of who we are. The, the goodwill comes from him because of his nature in spite of our nature. Good will. I have good news for you tonight because what was true 2,000 years ago was still true today. Jesus' goodwill towards us makes it possible for us to understand and know and receive this peace that was declared on that first night. It's important that we understand that in this first public declaration of the birth of Christ, think of all the things that could have been spoken to declare about who Jesus was and is as he came into the world. And what was spoken is that there is a peace that he brings and we can access it because of the goodwill of who he is. This idea of being stuck in a vehicle seems to be a recurring theme in my life. So picture's going to pop up. As many of you know, I was in Africa two weeks ago for a week uh, with Link, Leading Innovatively Niger to the Kingdom, which is a ministry that we're beginning a partnership with. I'm going to be talking about them more next week. But this was us out in the middle of the desert, and our van got stuck. We were going up a little bit of an incline, and as we're going up the incline, you could just feel the back end of that van just begin to dig deep into the sand. We don't have a tow rope. We don't have shovels. We don't have the things that you would think maybe that we would have. And when we get out, all of a sudden, all the people that are living in the villages around saw us, and they just came running. Goodwill. See, see goodwill is not based on what you have, whether or not you are poor or rich, or have means, or don't have means, goodwill flows from the character of the person that is helping. And all of these villagers, they just come running to our aid. They begin to break thatch off of scrub brush that's around to create tracks, and they get down and begin to dig with their hands, and eventually, after about a half an hour, the van begins to ride up onto the crest that everyone's cheering. We would still be stuck there today if it not had been for the goodwill of those people who came to our aid. Goodwill, needing help. Whether your story may be as simple as being stuck on the side of the road like I was in spring break, or maybe it's a little bit more vulnerable like the one I'm telling here of being stuck in a desert in Africa. Maybe your story of needing the goodwill of someone else is more severe, or maybe it is even less serious than a broken down car. The feeling that it creates in you is still the same. There is a helplessness that you feel. Listen to these words. I'm writing, going to pop up on the screen. It might make you feel isolated. It might make you feel vulnerable. Frustration is an important word because you realize you cannot help yourself. It's frustrating as a human being that you have a need 
and that you realize that it is not within your ability and your capacity to change your circumstance and your situation, that you are completely and totally dependent on someone else to come and help you. I believe that some of you have those feelings even now. Maybe even as that list popped up onto the screen, if you're watching online, maybe as that slide came onto the screen, you saw those words and your heart began to stir a little bit, that you begin to see words that maybe for the first time began to articulate something that's happening deep inside of you. And maybe there's an extra measure of frustration because you can't figure out why. So when we were stuck on the side of the road, we knew why we were feeling that way because our car was broken down. When we were here in the desert in Africa, we knew why we were feeling this way because we were stuck and we needed someone's help. But sometimes you find yourself in life and you have feelings and you don't know why they're there. And so it amplifies those feelings all the more. And looking at your life, you might say, I love my husband. I love my wife. You're committed to your marriage. You might say, as I look at my life in reflection, you're, you're one of those families, there's nothing that you wouldn't do for your children. You work hard at your job. You give to others in need. You're, you're known as a generous person. Maybe you're that neighbor that everyone knows they can call on you any time of day and you'll be there to help. You are a loyal friend. You're a faithful family member to your parents and siblings, you are a good and moral person, but yet, even still, there is something inside of you that aches. There is a longing that you have as though something is missing, and you've never quite been able to satisfy it. This is what I want you to understand tonight. You can't satisfy a heavenly hunger with an earthly table. You can't satisfy a heavenly hunger with an earthly table. One of the reasons why we find ourselves frustrated in this life is that, that, that we're filling our lives with good things. And, and, and I'm not here to tell you don't pursue those because those are good things. But what you will find is that those good things, you can give your life to them for the rest of your life and all the things that are read on this list, they should define who you are. And you should chase after those things. But they will not satisfy your deepest need. There is a heavenly hunger each of us have and you cannot satisfy it at an earthly table. From the moment you and I were born into this world, every person, every person, from Adam and Eve until this world comes to an end, the last baby to be born, every person born into this world, our deepest need has always been to know God and to be known by Him. Our deepest need, our deepest longing down inside of who we are, down inside the part of us that makes us who we are, the part of us that's eternal, the part of us that's going to live forever, there is an aching and a longing and a hungering and a thirsting to know God, our creator, and to be known by him. Luke 2.14, it's so good. Peace on earth, goodwill, Toward men. This need for intimacy with God, to know Him and to be known by Him, is the peace that Jesus promises. It's called peace. It's the perfect word, isn't it? 
because it is the opposite of all the feelings that you have when you're stranded. It's the opposite of all the feelings that stir inside of you when there is something that you know that is missing and you cannot do for yourself. Jesus says there is a peace that I can give to you. And that peace is knowing God and being known by him. And there is nothing that settles the soul like intimacy with our creator. Jesus talks about this desire for peace, this desire to know God and to be known by him through these two simple parables that we find in Matthew 13, just through 44 to 46, just these few verses. Listen to what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. What, what does this treasure represent? What does this pearl of great price represent? It represents the peace that Jesus promises to us. This treasure is this life that is built around knowing God and being known by him. Now there's some irony in this parable because unlike the story that Jesus told, there is no amount of money that you could ever gather in this world to buy the peace that Jesus offers. I think that was on purpose by Jesus. I think Jesus was speaking to the hunger inside of them just as he's speaking to the hunger inside of us. He's saying, you, you feel it. There's a treasure that you long to find. There's a pearl of great price that you need. This feeling of knowing God and being known by him. And there is a price that has to be paid, but you and I can never pay it. It's a price that only Jesus was able to offer. We are stranded in this life until a journey of intimacy with God begins. Stranded. But because of Jesus' goodwill toward us, there is hope. What was our definition of goodwill? Benevolent, compassion, goodness, kindness, consideration, charity. Those words speak to the character of Christ. Remember, goodwill in its purest form is not dependent on the merit of the recipient. That's us. It doesn't matter whether or not we're deserving. It doesn't matter whether or not we've earned it because we can't. Goodwill is predicated on the character of the giver. And Jesus is the giver of this peace. There is a rescue that he offers to us. Let me show you the simple picture. We're going to be looking at this picture a lot throughout this series. This is us on the one side, born into this world, separated from God. Our deepest longing is to know him and to be known by him. And you can give yourself to good works. You can try to think better thoughts and become a better person. But none of those things are going to bridge that chasm. None of those things are going to ultimately satisfy this longing that is inside of you. I'm going to be sharing, I hope, next week about all the trips to 
Niger, Africa that are going to be available to you all the way through 2023. I hope you make a plan to go. It changes your life in ways that maybe you didn't even know that you needed to change. And one of the most remarkable experiences is that when you go there, there are moments where you will feel like you have stepped back in time into the pages of the Bible. This was us in that village where we soon got stuck and we were at a well in the middle of the day and all the women of the surrounding villages were coming out to draw water and there's Mitch, one of my good friends, sharing the message of the gospel of Christ. For some people that have never even heard the name of Jesus before, you're standing at a well in the middle of the day with women, right? You're like, I just stepped back into time to the story of the woman at the well. There's a dem to his, to the left there. You see his hands out. He's interpreting into the local language, which is Zarma. And, and he's, he's going to be here this summer. I hope that he's going to be able to come and speak here at the church. He's the director of all the in-country operations for Link. It's an incredible day. There at that well, look at this next picture. You know what those grooves in the wood is? It's for generations of women pulling a rope across a piece of wood, making a, an indentation over and over just the natural. For how much water do you have to draw just to make one of those? And look at how many are there. Manually, just pulling. So, you know, of course, we're there and we're trying to build some rapport. And so we had the two of us would jump in and they would time us to see how, right, these two, these two tiny little women, right, in half the time that we could pull that thing up. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's look at the next picture. This was in a neighboring village. This is a different well. Let's go to the next one. This well is so deep that you can't even pull it by hand. I think it was over 150 feet deep. So they have a donkey with a rope. Let's go to the next one. They lead the donkey out. It pulls it up and they dump it. On the first one where they're doing it by hand, it's animal skin. And when the animal skin first falls to the bottom of the well, it floats. And so they drop it to make a little bit of a splash and it gets a little water in. And they pull it up, drop it again, pull it up. And and as, as more water gets in, eventually it's heavy enough to sink to gather enough water to pull up. Here you just, you can't do that. It's so deep. Over and over and over again, every day of their lives, every day, water to survive. As I was standing there, I was thinking to myself, Jesus is genius, isn't he? Because the words that he uses to describe the longing inside of us will resonate for people for all of time. Whether you live in a fourth world country They created a new category for Niger and a few other countries in the world because third world wasn't poor enough. Whether you live in a fourth world country or whether you live in the wealthiest nation on the planet here in America, these words speak to you and me because all of us get thirsty. Whether or not you've got to go to a well to get water or whether or not you can walk to a refrigerator and get it from your frigid air, you understand the nature of thirst. And there Jesus was with the woman at the well and talked about the thirst of the soul. How about in John chapter 6 when he talks about the bread of life? Whether you live in a fourth world country or whether you live in a developing, your body gets hungry for food. Your body gets hungry. 
Everybody understands hunger. If Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years, you know what people are going to be doing? Eating food because they're hungry. It's genius, isn't it? All of these feelings that God created in us by God's design were to speak to us about a deeper desire of our soul. And so Jesus points to them as he's teaching. He talks about a thirst. He talks about a hunger. And maybe my favorite is John chapter 3 where he talks about being born again. Now he talks about this for lots of reasons, but one of them I believe he talks about because every human person aches for the acceptance and the unconditional love of a family. Every person. There is an ache inside of us for acceptance. And Jesus says, knowing God and being known by him gives to us an acceptance that is unlike any acceptance that you will ever experience in this life. I remember texting Vanessa about halfway through the trip saying, I've got good news and good news. The good news is, is that we're okay And the other good news is, is that I might smuggle a child in my luggage back to America. So this picture is going to come up. This is Jesse. I've been telling, I cried more on this trip in five days than I have in five years. I told people that you don't, you're, you're dehydrated the whole time you're there. 110 degrees, but you don't sweat because it's so dry. So it, so you're dehydrated. You don't even know you're dehydrated. I don't know if I was dehydrated all the time because I wasn't drinking enough because I was crying too much. But I was crying on this day. This little baby was, was a preemie born just in November. Name's Jesse. In an orphanage that this guy right here, Brennan Thaler, built. Come on. Give me that picture. Come on. He didn't know I was going to show this tonight, and he would probably ask me not to, but that's how we do things here at City Life Church. We just ask for forgiveness later. But when he was asking about it before the service, when he was 13 years old, he raised a quarter of a million dollars, 13 years old, heard about a need. It's his dad that runs this ministry, a good friend of mine, Michael Taylor, he visits here on occasion, and uh, his dad told him about a story, about a need for an orphanage, about a family that didn't have the resources that they need to care for the people that need to be cared for, and he said, I'll do it. So his dad says, okay, have at it, a quarter of a million dollars at 13 years old. And there it is. In French, all the modifiers are in a different place, right? So it's Hall Brennan Thaler instead of Brennan Thaler Hall. Isn't that great? That wasn't a mistake. That's how it translates. We were sitting in those little white plastic chairs right there. You cry because you realize that most of those children will never have what your children have. They're going to have people that love them. They're going to have people that care for them, but most of those children will never know the acceptance and the love that a mother and father give. It's, it's, a, it's a striking contrast. I didn't realize we were doing a baby dedication. It's a striking contrast, isn't it? Matthias and Jesse, they have two different paths and two different journeys. But both of them are exactly the same in this way. The ache in their soul to know God and to be known by him. We're born with it, people, into this world. So let me ask you a question tonight. If you're here, if you're watching online, have you been rescued? Are you standing on the roadside of life 
And maybe tonight I've been giving words that speak to what you've been feeling, maybe for some of you for the first time. Maybe for some of you it's not the first time, but God keeps bringing the same message across your path because it's time for you to accept the goodwill that Jesus is offering. Do you have this peace that Jesus promises? Is your life built around a pursuit of knowing God and being known by him? Let's go back to that image, that little sketch of the chasm. There should be another one with a cross. Do you see that? There you go. See, this is the goodwill of Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. No other name. He's the only bridge. There's, there's no way to get from one side to the other apart from him. Which is why, on the night of his birth, the angels declared peace on earth, goodwill toward men for the first time. Making a way for our relationship with God to be reconciled. For the hunger and the thirst and the ache inside of the human whole to be satisfied. The peace that comes from knowing God and being known by him because of the goodwill of Christ. John 14, 6 reads this way. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. John 14, 6 reads this way. And Jesus told them, right, this is on the night, his last supper, the weekend before his death and resurrection. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We can trust that he is the way to the Father. We can trust his words about the Father are true. And we can trust him when he says, this life that I offer you is the life that you're desperate to find. It is the peace that I give, a life of knowing God and being known by him. This sermon series is all about the Bible telling a story. The Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play. Not just me. Not just the people that you look around this room, and maybe through some observation you've come to the conclusion it seems like they already know God and are known by Him. It might be that you're in this room, and you look into your life, you don't have a sense of knowing God and being known. Guess what? God's just excited about your plan and purpose in this world as He is about everyone else's. The Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play. You have a part to play. And although all our parts will be dramatically different, he's made us for all different kinds of purposes and callings and reasons and assignments, different tasks that he's going to give to us based on the abilities that he's put inside of us, the personality. We like to tell people this idea of Imago Dei, the image of God, that, that, that when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, all of the Spirit of God lives inside of you, but there's only a portion of the Imago Dei that he gives to you because all of us together are supposed to be the complete picture of him to the world. There's a part of the image of God that only you have. Although all our parts will be dramatically different, at some point, we will share the same moment. And I hope for some of you that moment is tonight. The moment where you find the goodwill, discover the goodwill of Jesus. Stand with me.
We bless your name, Father. We bless your name. Father, I believe that there are people that are here tonight and people that are watching online and their, their, their vision of themselves is being stranded on the roadside. That, that's, that that picture speaks to where they feel like they are on the inside. A little bit vulnerable, a little bit helpless, and a little bit frustrated. And we know that in this story, it's not Hank that's going to come to them. Jesus, it's you. And that you're here right now in this room. You're in people's living rooms right now. You're in their kitchen. You're on their back deck as they're watching this service right now on this lovely spring evening. That you are present, Jesus. And you are there to remind us, just like in Matthew 13, the price that we could never pay for the treasure that you offer, the peace that you give, the price that we could never pay for the pearl of great price that represents the peace that you give, you remind us that you paid that price for us when you died on a cross 2,000 years ago. So the peace that you have, you could share it with us. That for the rest of our days, and for the rest of our lives, we could know, because of your goodwill, what it's like to know you, God, and to be known by you. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. We're going to sing this song together, and there's going to be some people down here at the front to pray for you. If what I've been talking about tonight speaks to you in some way, as you look back onto the story of your life, you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. They'd love to talk with you about that. If you're watching online, you can just hit that button to request prayer. And some of the online platforms, there's actually a button that you can put that you want to make a decision for Jesus. And you'll go into a private chat room and, and you can talk with someone to ask questions about what this means. And then I'm going to come back up to close the service at the end of the song. But then we'll be here after the service to pray for you too. Come on, let's worship together.